The macrophage communicate. The macrophages to able to send messages. They come, they're in close proximity to each other and send messages, which we use lectins for the nasty things that people say that beans have and are killing us. If you didn't have lectins, these cells would not be able to talk to one another. Wow, that's yeah. a big deal. It's a huge deal. Cellular communication is a huge deal and lectins are a major part of that. Wow. Yeah. Hello, and welcome back to the Your Great Podcast with your host, Unique Hammond. I created this podcast for those seeking inspiration and tools along your healing path. What I learned from my own healing journey is that healing my body wasn't just about the food I was eating, it was about how I related to my body and how I related to the food I was eating and my spiritual and emotional body as well. For me, healing my body was a full contact sport. I was a pretty different person before my illness and what it took to heal and the amount of suffering I went through and humbling to my knees and everything in between really transformed me. And I showed up for it every step of the way. I showed up for the emotions I hadn't processed from childhood. I showed up for the hurt and the anger and the hate that I felt. And I showed up for all of it. I turned over every stone in the process of healing myself because what it took to heal was facing down everything that was causing my suffering. And at the core of it all, it was me. I was the source of my suffering. And my body was just the outward expression of the internal turmoil that I had been living with most of my life. So the course of my illness really provided this unwanted but much needed transformation from who I was to who I really was. I had created a persona that I was living within and I wasn't really living authentically to myself at all. So I am forever grateful to my illness for granting me the opportunity to transform because who I am today is very far from who I used to be. And I'm really proud of that. I'm really excited about today's podcast. I get to sit down with my mentor, my nutritionist, and just a wonderful human being, Karen Hurd, who created the wonderful protocol that I've been working with and on for the last nine and a half years. Karen has been practicing for 30 years. In addition to her nutrition training, Karen holds a Master's of Science in Biochemistry and is currently enrolled in the George Washington University in the Master's of Health program. Her philosophy and approach to health is food has the power to kill, food has the power to heal. It's your choice. Karen applies her knowledge at the biomolecular level to understand the cause of the health problems we face and what dietary and lifestyle changes are needed to correct the cause and unlock our best health. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoy our conversation about the immune system. It is always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm delighted to be here. And as always, I'll start by saying thank you for everything because your work has changed not just the course of my life, but the course of my health and my understanding on how to take care of my my incredible human body. Yeah. Our bodies are incredible. And they want they 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 will heal themselves if we allow it and don't get in the way. And if we provide the resources, I mean, you know, to you gotta have something to work with. So if we give them good resources, your body's gonna heal itself. So. Yeah, they are incredible. I mean, it, it really is incredible. I feel like part of the protocol is really just creating an environment that empowers the body to do the work it's already wanting to do. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And getting rid of what interferes with that capacity to heal. And, you know, there's a lot of confusion, I think, for people because you have all of this science saying sugar is fine and it's not going to affect your immune system and coffee is fine and essential oils are fine and all of these things are fine. But then why do we have so many sick people if all of these things are fine? Right. 
And, you know, unfortunately, there are so many things that they say, this is the science. And it's just like, is it the science? That's why it's just like, what is truth? I mean, there really is only one truth. I mean, and granted, we do not know everything in science at all. But we do know a lot. And we take, unfortunately, some of these people take a little bit, you know, of, of the good of something. And then they make it, then they look at all of the bad, like, you know, I could coffee. Well, there's all these antioxidants in coffee. There are. There certainly are. But you have to take it with the caffeine and you have to take it with, you know, all the other problems that come with coffee. And so is it worth it? I mean, is there enough negativity to outweigh the positivity, you know, of a particular substance such as coffee? So, yeah. And because we want to drink coffee because we are addicted to caffeine, we love the rush of adrenaline. We have to justify it. And it's just human nature. You justify the things that you want. Absolutely. For most of my young years, I justified being a sugar addict because I was working out and I was eating salads. So having sugar, the abundance of sugar was healthy. You know, I saw it as like this healthy balance that I was striking and my body was speaking a different language. It was like, hey, what you're doing doesn't work for me. And I think if if a person can strike this interesting balance throughout their life and their body is fine with it, then that's one thing. But my body was most definitely not okay with the life I was leading. And I just continued to stuck a sock in its mouth, you know? Like, yeah. I, <laughs> like I don't want to hear what you're saying because what you're saying does not work into my idea of what my life should look like. Yeah. Not listening. Yeah. Not listening. <laughs> so I think there's, to me, I always break people into two categories. One category is what whatever this balance you're striking, whether it's coffee, alcohol, sugar, you're healthy, you don't have your body talking to you, you fall into a different category potentially. But for me, my body was talking to me. It was loud. It was very verbal with the things that were going on. And I just continued to go, but compared to so-and-so, I'm so much healthier. So what I'm doing is fine, regardless of the fact that my body was like, hey, red flag over here, red flag. Seeing everybody else live one way and then contemplating the idea of having to live another way was just too much for my fragile ego. And I struggled with it, you know? Sugar is okay. Balance is okay. I got caught up in the rhetoric versus, okay, put everything aside. How do I take care of my body? And what I learned from you was exactly that of like, your body is this way and learning how to take care of your body versus worrying about what other people are doing for their body is not the point. It's like, how do you get in touch with this body and take care of the one that you're in? And I was so busy comparing my body against other people's body that you know, I was just trying to live like everybody else versus like, hey, how do I take care of this this particular body that I have to be the, you know, captain of? So, yeah, exactly. And I love this protocol so much. I'm just going to say it before we dive into today's topic, because I was traveling recently to Copenhagen and I brought I literally brought a couple of cans of fat free refried beans with me because I was like, you know, and psyllium husk just in case I can't find it on the road. And a couple of days in, I was taking husk, but I realized I actually missed beans. So, you know, I had to take a couple of pat-downs for the beans, but it was worth it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sitting in our hotel room in Copenhagen, and I pop the lid, and I stick a spoon in, and I just start eating. And this, like, sigh of, like, comfort just kind of, like, came from me. And I had music on in the room, and I was just like, I'm so happy I brought these beans. The pat-down was totally worth it just to bring these beans into Copenhagen. <laughs> and I felt this sense of calm. And I was just like, that's the one thing. I don't know if I ever told you this, but in the journey of healing my gut, one of the very first things I noticed was how calm I started to feel. Not having the sugar, not having the caffeine. I had existed at a certain level of anxiety most of my life, emotional and physical. And one of the first things I noticed was the slowing down of my nervous system. Like I didn't feel on this edge of of anything, whereas I felt on the edge all the time, just kind of waiting for something to happen, almost like anticipatory doom. And it just started like dropping that down. And I remember going, whoa, what is this feeling of calm? Like this sense of calm. It was really wild. And that's the feeling I had in Copenhagen. Here I was far, far from home. And here I was just sitting there eating beans and being like, this is just the best thing I've had for weeks. (laughs) So I I love that. 
I will travel with my tin of beans everywhere and I will take the pat downs. So anyway. All right. Well, today's topic is one of real interest for me, having had what they called Crohn's disease, an immune malfunction. So I would love for you to take us through the immune system and how does it work? How do we, what is this thing we call the immune system? The immune system is a collection of cells as well as different glands and organs that protect us from bad guys. Bad guys are antigens. It's foreign invaders that come into the human body that can destroy human tissue. Mm. So we have these the innate immune system. That means it just occurs without you doing anything. It's just going to happen for you. It is absolutely fabulous. So let's take the immune system and see how it, I'm going to show you how it works and describe to you how it works. And then I want to come back to inflation because the immune system is always blamed for creating inflation. And we got the horse before the cart on that one. I want to explain that. And that's what we're to come up with your Crohn's disease and, and the problem there. Okay. So we have all kinds of things that we're always breathing in. We eat them. We are somehow they, these different foreign molecules get inside of our bloodstream. Well, they have to be identified if they're dangerous or if they're not dangerous. And the cell that does that is the macrophage. The macrophage is one of many different white blood cells. And I'll, I'll back up even a minute to let you know that there are white blood cells come from stem cells. They come from your bone marrow. In your bone marrow, we have something called stem cells where it's a cell that can make several other kinds of cells. It can also replicate itself, but it can make many different kinds of cells. So our stem cells or our red blood cells and our white blood cells come from our bone marrow. Now, the red blood cells, they will mature and they all come from the same starting place, but they will turn into red blood cells. They will differentiate. And then the white blood cells, of which we have many, there's just the macrophages, there's our T cells, there's neutrophils and isonophils and basophils and monocytes. There's lots of, we have different names for all kinds of these white blood cells. They all end up migrating to the thymus gland. And in the thymus gland, they mature. They're little baby cells. They're like a little joey, you know, in a kangaroo pouch, you know, it's, it's got to grow up into the full kangaroo and it just takes a while. And Thymus gland is the nursery for the white blood cells. And it's important to know that because I'm going to come back to the nursery because if you don't have the nutrients in your diet to make a strong nursery and have the formula needed to feed these baby white blood cells, then you're going to have sick, lame, and lazy white blood cells that cannot do a good job because they just didn't have a good growing up time in the thymus gland. They were malnourished. Mm. But we have to know what nourishes them so we can get strong white blood cells. Okay, so you have this this enemy enter into the bloodstream. And those enemies that can reproduce themselves and cause you havoc and harm and can destroy you are called antigens. Then there's another enemy that can enter, but it's really not an enemy, but it's a pseudo enemy, and that's an allergen. An allergen can also enter the bloodstream, which is a piece of dog dander. It can be dust. It can be grass, anything like that. And so what has to happen when you have antigens and allergens enter the bloodstream? There has to be a way to identify, are you dangerous or are you not dangerous? And there is a cell that starts that process. It's called the macrophage. The macrophage is a white blood cell that is literally nosing around through the entire bloodstream, looking to see if there's a cell that doesn't belong to you. Because every cell that belongs to unique has unique ID card on it. And so macrophage is checking every cell's ID card. Or do you belong to unique? You belong to unique? Yeah, yeah, your ID checks out. You all belong to unique. We're not going to bother you. Leave these cells alone. But the macrophage will come into contact with a cell that can't show its ID. And it says, hey, where's your ID? You don't, you don't, oh, you, don't you left your ID down by the liver? No, 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 but I don't believe that. That's a lie. You know, I'm going to hold you in it. Literally, the macrophage will attach itself to this, I call it a perpetrator. You know, it's this, this foreign optic that is entered. And it's, it, they're always molecules, okay? And will attach itself and say, I'm detaining you. And I'm going to bring in some, some of my upper superiors to make sure 
that, you know, I'm not going to prosecute you yet and we're not going to destroy you yet until we're sure that you don't belong to unique because if you belong to unique, we don't want to destroy unique selves. That's what's keeping you alive and well. So the macrophage calls in the T helper. The T helper is another white blood cell and says, hey, I've got this, this perpetrator here. He's a bad guy. I think he's really, really bad guy. And he doesn't have a cell ID and he says he has one, but he doesn't have it with him. And I think he's lying through his teeth. And so T helper and then the macrophage communicate. The macrophages to able to send messages. They come, they're in close proximity to each other and send messages, which we use lectins for the nasty things that people say that beings have and are killing us. If you didn't have lectins, these cells would not be able to talk to one another. Wow, that's yeah. a big deal. It's a huge deal. Cellular communication is a huge deal, and lectins are a major part of that. Wow. Yeah, okay. Well, macrophage says to T helper, okay, I'm sending you all the intel on this guy. You know, he's this tall, he's this big, he's a molecular structure, okay? <laughs> and he's got gray eyes, and, you know, he's wearing a black jacket, and, you know, whatever. He gives them all details. <laughs> T helper looks over all the details and says, Mac, I think you've got a live one here. This one is bad. This one is bad. I think it can reproduce because, see, that's the difference between an allergen and an antigen. An allergen is a dead piece of protein. It cannot reproduce itself at all. It's dead. However, an antigen is a protein also. But it can reproduce itself. It's alive. Anything that can reproduce itself, we say it has life. And so this is like, Oh, Mac, you got a, you got a live one here. We've got, you know, we got trouble. I think that it's going to multiply and take over Unique's body. And so he says, okay, we got to do one more step, though, before I can turn on the immune system or allow it to be turned on. We got to get T-suppressor in because T-suppressor actually gives the overall command decision that this is really a bad guy. Or no, you guys, this is not a bad guy. It's just an allergen. Let him go. And just the liberal clear him out and throw him out into the bowel movement later on. Just let him go. It's just a piece of dust. Look, you know, we don't care. T suppressor comes online. And then the T helper cell sends all the information to T suppressor. All the information it got from Mac, it sends it over exactly. This is what we got. Check him out. Is he good? Is he bad? And then T suppressor comes back and says, he's terrible. He is going to take over the body. We will turn on the immune system. The T suppressor gives the permission for the immune system to be activated. And we activate the immune system. All kinds of white blood cells come on. Those ones that I mentioned before, we have monocytes and we have leukocytes and we have basal fills and we have a, a whole myriad of fighters that will come and they actually then attack this, this perpetrator and then they, they destroy it. Literally, it comes to pieces. And then macrophage, Macrophage loves this process because macrophage is in for a luau because the macrophage is the one who eats up all the debris. Says, "Oh, good lunch, you know. I get to have all these little they're called they're tiny little pieces of cells that that, that get blown up, and so and so he just gobbles up all the the trash. And then so and when macrophage gets too full, he actually dies. White blood cells do die. Their projected life can't be measured like a red blood cell. The red blood cell, we know, will live 120 days. But if white blood cell is coming in contact with a lot of antigens, well, then they expire faster because they can only, they can, macrophage can only eat so much. And so now we've turned on the immune system. And when the threat has been neutralized, then T suppressor says, I don't see any more of them out there. Do you see any more of them out there, T helper? Nope, we can't find a Mac. Can you find Mac? Mac's a scout, okay, Mac? Macrophage, I call him Big Mac. Okay, macrophage is the scout trying to find a bad guy. Can't find anymore, we're done. And then T suppressor will say, okay, shut down the immune system. So then all your levels of white blood cells will fall back in with some normal ranges. So like when you're sick and you go to the doctor, they're always checking your white blood cells because they will be elevated if you're fighting certain things. And certain white blood cells are targeted for certain types of antigens and allergens. And so that's the basic premise of the the immune system so if you go to the doctor and your white blood cells have dropped that would indicate a recent infection is that correct yes because we are supposed to have we have normal ranges for white blood cells and so you're going to be fighting and then as you're fighting you're losing you're losing soldiers just think of the white blood cells so some of them are dying in the line of duty and so you lose some so you're you could have a lower after it's over but when you're in the infection, you actually, we are deputizing more and more and more of these white blood cells. And so they actually will be elevated while you're in the throes of 
the cold or the flu or whatever. But once that's done, they're going to be dropping back down and we have to replenish the white blood cells as we, you know, the ones that got killed off in the line of duty. And how does one replenish white blood cells? By nourishing the thymus gland, because the thymus gland is the nursery where they're all coming out of. And if you have a great nursery and there's plenty of food there for those little baby white blood cells to have a meal, then you're going to turn on some healthy blood cells. So what is this nourishment? What do they depend on? Protein. Protein. And I'll repeat it again for emphasis, protein. That is the food that they need to have. So we have certain lifestyle ways to live that promote that we shouldn't have protein. Protein, you know, we can combine proteins and get all the essential amino acids. And no, there's limiting factors. You never have enough. And so those who have chosen not to have the efficient proteins, which are eggs, meat, poultry, fish, and seafood, that is it. Those are the efficient and complete proteins. That means that when these white blood cells are maturing in the thymus gland, they may be missing the thionine, which is an essential amino acid that means they will not develop or parts of them will not develop and they come out deformed, weak, lame, lazy, and they cannot perform their job very well. And so then they make mistakes. And we see that all the time in people's immune system. You have macrophage that's coming. They're all coming out of this nursery. Say you don't eat well and you're doing things that, and certain things actually tear down your immune system. And we can talk about those later too. You're not eating well. You're not getting the protein. And so they're in the nursery and they're maturing and to be these healthy, strong soldiers to go out and win the war and keep your body safe. Well, if you are not getting the adequate protein that you need, you're going to still turn out these cells. You will still have monocytes. You will still have macrophages. You will still have T helpers and you will still have all these, these cells, but they're inadequate. They're not able to do a job. It's like taking a man that's been sick and in bed for a long time and you put him in the job and he's just not doing as good of a job as the strong, healthy guy next to him. It's, it, it, they're failing you. And so that's where we get into trouble with, with autoimmune diseases as well as allergies. Because when Mac, he catches a hold of a, of a foreign protein and he says, show me your ID. And they said, oh, I left my ID. I, now I, oh, I left mine over by the spleen. You know, I, I'm going to run and get it. Let's let me go back. You know, let me, because Mac is holding on to him. I mean, there's an attachment. And Mac says, no, I think you're big and bad and awful, the worst I've ever seen. And so he has T Helper come over and T Helper says, yes, you got a bad one. But it's not a bad one. It's a dead piece of protein, but Mac missed the signs. Mac should have said, oh, you're a dead piece of protein. Go your way. Liver will clear you out, get rid of you, and you're not going to bother anybody because you can't multiply. But Mac makes a mistake. Why did Mac make a mistake? Because he's stupid. Why was he stupid? Because he didn't develop into a healthy cell in the thymus gland. And then the T helper makes the same mistake. He's supposed to say, Mac, Mac, you got a hold of dead piece of protein here. Let it go, Mac. You're wrong. You know, let it go. And then that's the end of it. And so the tea helper, though, makes the same mistake as oh, Matt, he got that allergen. That, that's, a, that's one of the worst protein molecules I've ever seen. It's going to destroy her body. So tea helper makes a mistake. Why is tea helper making the same mistake? Because tea helper is also not strong and healthy. And we all know when we're not strong and healthy, just take it in any situation. You're, you're at your job, you're cleaning your house, whatever you're doing. If you're not feeling well, you really do an inadequate job. That's the bottom line. And you say, what's the matter with me? I'm stupid. I'm lame. I'm lazy. It's like, you're not well nourished and you don't do a good job. We all know that. Don't get enough sleep. Don't get enough good food. You do poor performance. Hypothetically speaking, you're eating enough protein, but you're not sleeping well and you're drinking alcohol. Like, are there, are there different components that would begin to make weakened white blood cells? And so a weakened, a weakened immune system if what I hear you're saying is correct, a weakened immune system is going to respond poorly to something that's dead, right? So instead, it's going to tag it as alive and a threat, and then it's going to mount a response. Is is that where a histamine or mast cell come into play, or is that a different story? No, ma'am, that is exactly where they come into play. Okay. A lot of people who say I'm sensitive to histamines, I have mast cystitis, which is a, a histamine response. And that's because the mast cells that are activated, when the immune system goes into full gear, it activates something called mast, M-A-S-T, like a mast on a ship, mast cells. And they get activated and they release cellular modulators. They're, they're, they're poisons to kill 
whatever this nasty, terrible germ is that's entered into your bloodstream, except what's trying to kill is already dead. It's a piece of, it's a dust, piece of dust. It's dog dander. It's not alive. And so then you have this large release histine, histamine is the most common chemical that is released. And histamine causes you to, you can have hives and itching and, you know, you can feel miserable and swelling and inflammation, but it's supposed to kill something, but there wasn't anything to kill. So it aggravates all the tissue that it comes into contact with and causes it to become inflamed. The immune system can misidentify food as well. Is that how the the problem happens? So if a person's eating a food they can eat one day, and if their immune system is not nourished properly, then the food the next day can ma- the body mounts a response against it, identifying it as alive. Yes, of- and that's because of the sheer volume of molecules. See, when the macrophage says, "Oh." Here's this lone little, you know, pick of food that somebody's allergic to, a nut, okay? Let's say peanut, okay? The peanut is a very specific protein. I have the peanut protein here. Well, there's only one or two of you guys. Let me watch it for a little while. No, you're not reproducing at all. You're a dead piece of protein. Go your way and you have no reaction. We have not turned on the immune system. But what if you're eating peanut butter every day and large amounts of it over and over and over and over. There's a lot more of these protein molecules in the bloodstream. And then you have a macrophage that's not particularly intelligent or feeling well at the moment and says, you know what? I thought that that this was a dead piece of protein, but look how many more of them that's just multiplied overnight. Well, they haven't multiplied themselves through cellular division it's because you're just ingesting more of them. And so then the immune system gets kicked into gear because you fooled the immune system into thinking they're alive. Okay, so say, for example, I have a very healthy gut and I eat a lot. I'm, I eat a lot of peanut butter, Karen. I do. It's okay, yeah, peanut butter. It's good for you. Uh, it's good for you. But if you, is, is the problem with eating, because I tend to repeat foods until I'm tired of them and then I'll move on to other foods. So right now I happen to be eating a lot of peanut butter. Is, is the reason why I personally am not, my body's not mounting a response of any kind, even though I'm, subjecting it to peanut butter day in and day out for a long time now is because I have a healthy mucosal lining and a healthy immune system that I can eat the same food all the time? Because I know people get worried and go, I should always rotate my food and not eat. I shouldn't eat an egg every day or I shouldn't eat peanut butter every day. Like, talk to me about that. Yep. The reason why you're not having a reaction is because you have strong immune system cells that recognize this and say, oh, you're, you're a dead piece of protein going away. I don't care if there's hundreds of thousands of you. You're dead and you're smart and you have a very healthy immune system. But if your immune system is compromised, that's when we start, that's when the white blood cells start to make mistakes. And the mistakes are what are creating the allergy response. Right now, how would you know if you were ever going to respond by eating a lot of peanut butter? Unique. You would you wouldn't have an allergy response. All of a sudden, it's just like, I'm breaking out in hives. That's a histamine response. Mm-hmm. Like, what did, what did I do? It's like, okay, you just, your immune system is suppressed right now. It should have recognized this is not an enemy. But for whatever reason, your immune system can be suppressed. Even when you're eating a really, really good diet, what would do it if you're eating a really, really good diet, not exposed to cigarette smoke, perfumes, and fragrances? What is one thing that we are all exposed to that sometimes we have a difficult time controlling? stress. So you can be stressed out because of your job, finances, or, you know, there's all kinds of things that comes. And stress is an immunosuppressant. So then your, your cells are not performing at optimum. Because you're eating all this peanut butter and you're not having any problem, your cells are performing at optimum. You're in good shape. So it's not just eating protein, which I do. I am being a Californian and raised a Californian. I definitely dabbled in the not as much protein category and you set me straight on the healing process. And I'm definitely a very, I'm an omnivore and I do feel strong and my body feels strong and I eat the required amount of protein and I feel good. I don't have histamine response. Although I do have a cat thing, which is fascinating to me, but that's another story because everything else is, I, I don't, I don't have any allergies anymore. When I met you, I had roles of sensitivities that uh, things I couldn't touch without hives and my body going into a histamine response. So managing stress is, is a certain amount of stress good for the body? Like, is there a protectant element to stress or is just all stress bad? I, I would say all, all stress is, is going to be mostly negative. I mean, I'm trying to think of when it would be, a, and, and the, it would be positive in the sense when you're stressed, you're having the general 
adrenaline release so you can deal with the danger. I mean, if someone is breaking into your home, I am hoping very much that you are having a stress response and that your adrenaline is flowing so you can take take him out, call 911, whatever it has to be done. You have to have that. So that's good and that, but you will pay for that. Okay. I mean, we have our first responders and our paramedics and police, they typically have all kinds of health problems because they are living on adrenaline because they're always responding to emergencies. Someone's dying, someone's dying, someone's dying, someone, you know, and so they're go, 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 go. And so they're able to perform very well. When you have a stress response like that, you perform at top notch. But if you have to continue to be performing at that level, eventually your whole, your whole health will crumble. The body can stay healthy when stress is more undulating, like in response, because there's stressful jobs or stressful interactions and your body, I mean, your body's adrenaline spikes and then it comes back down. I would imagine the body is prepared for that kind of stress. Like, it is because we, we all have stresses. I mean, you know, the car pulls out in front of you, you have to jam on the brakes, you're almost in a wreck. Your heart's going boom, 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 and your adrenaline is flowing, you know, or, or one of your children are, are, are hurting and you need to rescue them. Yeah, we're always going to have some type of stress like that, but it's not this constant up here, way high stress. You know, some people live in a high stress situation and they never get out of it. It's just constant. But we have to be able to say, okay, I responded to that stress. Now I can go back down. You know, it's, and so you have the peaks and mostly you're going to be in valleys because hopefully we don't have these horrible, stressful situations all the time. That's the internal working of the immune system. Our skin's part of it, right? Our muco mucus is part of a protectant quality. Like what are other aspects of the immune system? It captures things and it holds them and detains them, you know, and not allowing them to go into the bloodstream and mucosa. So we have also memory cells that are formed, like when we do have a true antigen, you know, you get the chicken pox. Chicken pox is a very, very mild disease. And so you will quickly form the, the immune system cells that will fight that. And then once they fought it and it's all cleared up, then these, they're called B cells that are formed to specifically target a particular disease. Then that B cell will convert into an M cell, and M cell is a memory cell. So I will never forget what you look like. I will never forget you, chicken pox. So at the first sight of you again, I will snuff you out without even turning on the immune system. We're just going to wipe you out because we'll never forget you. So we have it's just it's just a wonderful backup systems. I just want to make sure I get this clear: a functioning immune system, a healthy immune system, it needs proper nourishment, protein predominantly, or is there anything else that it needs besides protein? Protein is the predominant one. And then there's a long list of no's that we don't, we, we don't make life worse on our immune system by creating stressful situations. Caffeine creates a stress. Mm -hmm. Sugar always creates a stress and directly causes inflammation. So, and then your immune system has cells to try to reduce inflammation, you know, and then inflammation is also caused by the macrophage T helper T suppressor mistaking an allergen for an antigen. And so then you have these histamine and there's other cellular mediators that will come out and then it causes the tissue to become inflamed and swollen. And we say, see, the immune system caused that. No, it's because your immune system isn't smart enough. It should have gone, this is not a problem. But it's reacting to it as if it's a problem. And so it's an immune system problem. So we call it autoimmune, but it's, it's really, a dis it's actually inflammation that you created because you didn't have a healthy immune system. So for my, for Crohn's, Crohn's is pretty classic in the ileal cecal area, inf really inflamed and mucus and all of that sexy stuff. Is it, is it a genetic factor that for me, it would attack that area in my intestines and for somebody else, it would be Hashimoto's that's attacking the thyroid? Like what happens in that conversation that for each one of us, it's showing up in, a, in uh, rheumatoid arthritis, right? There's a lot of different itis. There's a lot of inflammation. Some people get it in the joints. I got it in the gut. Some people get it in the skin. What, what's going on there? Well, there is, there are many components going on, but there certainly is a genetic tendency. So if your parents always had thyroid problems and your great grandfather, you know, there's thyroid, you need to know that there very well could be some genetic weakness there. And you need to know in genes, in our DNA, that the 
certain genes can be turned on and turned off. You know, we hear this all the time. I have the gene, the BRCA gene for breast cancer. I have to cut both breasts off. I have to, you know, because it's possible that I could get breast cancer. No, you have a gene, but it doesn't mean the gene is turned on. Well, what turns on these genes? It's always environmental factors. You're smoking, you're drinking, you're eating poorly, you're under high stress. And just as a gene can be turned on by those factors, they can also be turned on by living a better life, reducing your stress as much as possible. Let it go. But do you think because like I just got back from Copenhagen where I had not traveled internationally for a while and I got off and I was so excited and we got to our hotel and I swung open the windows for fresh air. Lo and behold, it was not fresh air. It was tons of secondhand smoke. And I was like, wait, do they not know that like smoking kills and, you know, it's so toxic and cancerous? So if you have that gene and you're exposed to toxins beyond your control, do you think people remove it just to go, I don't want the chance that something beyond, let's just say they, let's, for devil's advocate, they, they eat well, they take care of themselves, but there are factors that they're exposed to that they're worried about. Would that be a good reason to just eliminate the, the boobies altogether to know that you're not walking around with this potential genetic factor? No, I do not think at all, because we don't know for certain that that gene will be turned on by whatever, the secondhand smoke or whatever it was. And then what we have to remember, too, is that we have six DNA repair systems that come in and will repair that. And so you, and if you have a strong immune system, you're the DNA, the repair systems are separate than our immune system, but the immune system is going to be taking care of any information that could be occurring. But then you will have your DNA repair systems always working to repair the damage. So it's like, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cut my breasts or whatever because of the possibility. No, because even if you got cancer, what's going to defeat cancer? Your immune system. If you have a strong immune system, when you come up with one cancer cell, it will be identified almost immediately. And then there's another immune system cell, a white blood cell called a T-killer. And that T-killer will come in there and it will literally eat it whole. It just gobbles it up. It engulfs the whole cell and it's gone. And then the immune system through leukocytes, that's another white blood cell, can actually on that cancer cell trigger what's called a death receptor. There are certain receptor sites on every single cell, including every cancer cell. If we could just trigger it, if we could trigger it, and that's what the leukocytes do. If it triggers that, then the cell it's, will destroy itself. It commits suicide. I think where the mass confusion comes in is that there's books out there, uh, really well-read classic books, the China study, There's and, and different literature that's saying protein causes cancer. So people are moving away from protein. The one thing that you're saying is supporting the nursery, the thalamus, and creating these strong blood cells. Is it the, the poison in, is in the portion? Are people overeating protein or is it the kinds of protein? Like what would cause the body to create a cancer from protein. And I know that that's, that's what people are hearing because that's what they're coming to me of like, Unique, isn't protein bad? And I'm like, no, no, it's no, not bad. No. And so what you do is you have to go back to the source and examine how reliable is the China study. When I took statistics and probability and preparation, I had to do a lot of prerequisite work to get into my Master of Science program. And I, the China study is old, by the way, because I was reading it way back in 2000 and when I was doing all this study. So 2010, 2011, and I think it had been published. I have a copy of my shelf back here on my library shelf. Anyway, as an extra credit project, the professor said, hey, why don't you read this and tell me what you learned about statistics from the China study? Because it's considered a statistical tomb, you know, the greatest one of the greatest statistical works. And I came back and said that you can make the numbers say anything you want them to say. He said, exactly. When it comes to statistics, tell me what you want the end result to be. And then we can work the numbers to make it support that. It is the way, I mean, anybody that's involved in statistics knows what I'm saying is true. So you've got to go back and it's just like when I was in the United States Army, I was a military intelligence officer and I was briefing the commanding generals of the 24th Infantry Division, which was part of the Rapid Deployment Force. And I had to tell them what was going on in the world situation because within 24 hours, we would have to be anywhere in the world to squash whatever conflict was going on. And so I spent my days 
comparing this source to that source to this source to that source. And these were all highly classified sources, so they're supposed to be more credible. But some of them would deny each other. So where is that anti-aircraft unit after all? Because if we're going to be deployed, you do not want to be shot out of the sky by anti-aircraft. You know, it's just like, oh, that's, that's terrible. Okay, you got to get to your place without getting shot out in the sky. Because that's how we deliver our people is through air when we're, you know, born on these conflicts. And so I spent my days discerning truth and accuracy. And you have to bring in lots of different sources. And so the China study is one study from a certain perspective. What about these other things? And then you bring it all in. How does this work with biochemistry? Have you forgotten the foundations of the way our body works? Do we just discard that? Do we just, you know, observational studies or one type of study? China, China is an observational study. It's just observing these people ate like this. This is the way that, you know, they live. So you, we're going to just extrapolate that and then you'll carry that over into, you know, some statistical conclusions. And it's just like, be very careful. Be very careful. I do not put my name by the China study. After I studied that book, and it's just like, no, they wanted to present a certain message. And so you can just make the numbers look that way. So why do people feel that protein is the problem? Let's just take the ethical part of like, if somebody loves animals, they don't want to eat animals, environmental. Let's just talk about like health component. Where along the way did we lose the thread of like, hey, protein is actually what's protecting and feeding our immune system? Like, what do you think the problem is there? We become a culture and that we love our animals. You know, it's, you know, you don't want to sacrifice an animal for you to live. And actually, you do if you want to be healthy and strong. So, so well, I don't want to do that. I understand, you know, I don't want to see cattle or, you know, sheep or goats or whatever. So then that's when you say, okay, I'll live on eggs. You know, mm-hmm. Some people say fish is fine too, you know, because they don't have a problem with eating fish, but some do because that's a, a life form too. But an unfertilized egg, that is a complete an outstanding protein, and it is not alive. It is not a chicken. It is not a baby chicken. It is just an egg. So there's no danger to eating protein is what you're saying, that if anything, the danger is to not eat protein. The danger is to not eat protein, and I will give you this one caveat because sometimes there were people take it to the extremes. If you have kidney failure, then we need to talk about this, okay? Because if, but you already have a health condition that would preclude eating large amounts of protein. And what do I say? Eating large amounts. I even hate to say that because it's not a large amount. What do you need to eat a protein to have a healthy immune system? The the size of the palm of your hand, as big as the palm of your hand and as thick as the palm of your hand. This is not big. I'm looking at my hand. That's not, that's not even quite four ounces. That's not even a can of tuna, you know, not even the whole can, you know, it's not this huge, big steak that's, you know, taking up the entire plate and it's double stacked or something. It's like, you mean you don't need a tomahawk, Karen? <laughs> no. Just a palm-sized portion and you only need it three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And in some health conditions, you would like people who have a low white blood cell count. They need help to mature these white blood cells. And I'll say you need protein six times a day. All palm-sized portions? No. Palm size for your morning, your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner, and a half of a palm size for mid morning, mid afternoon before you go to bed. So maybe you need that extra. Oh, for nursing baby too, you need extra. Oh, yes, because you have to make all this milk, and the milk is a protein. And so it's made out of the proteins you're consuming. So you want to also probably have a high liquid intake for the liquor element. Yeah, a gallon of water a day if you're nursing a baby. So you want to eat more than a palm size three times a day if you're nursing? Yes. Six times a day. Palm size half, palm size half, palm size half. So six times a day. So a lot of people, when they get sick, they, interesting, I don't know if you've seen this, but I have a lot of clients when they get sick, they gravitate away from protein. Is that kind of the opposite way you want to go when you're sick? Because you're actually wanting to stoke the fire of white blood cells? Right. You actually need to have your protein more. Exception to that is protein is the most difficult food that we have to digest. It takes a lot of digestive work. So if you have a stomach flu and you're eating protein and the stu- it's a stomach flu, so this is, you're probably going to vomit it. <laughs> you're, you're not going to do well. So that's, you know, there. you remember the days of the white diet. Yes, you need protein, but 
You can't handle protein right now. Your gut can't handle anything. So let's heal the gut and you will be okay for the few days to a few weeks until we can introduce slowly the proteins to help you have the immune system that you're going to need. And then we, every cell we have is made out of protein. So how long does it take for that nursery to mature? Let's just say you're eating an optimal diet. How long does it take for new white blood cells to come on? I actually have to look that up. I never have looked up, you know, what is the maturation process? Is it 45 days, 15 days? I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Because it'd be interesting to know, like, if you had an infection and it drops because you've had all of these white blood cells, you know, go to work and then they've sacrificed themselves to protect you. Mm-hmm. How, what's the what's the lag time between the time that you get like a whole? I think it's pretty fast because I know that your white blood cell can, can climb in a day. You know, it can go up very, very rapidly. But I'm not, I don't want to say it's 72 hours or 48 hours. I'd actually have to look it up. That's just all good. Is there, so to go back to autoimmune, which is off the charts right now, why, why is that? Is that because of, and, and what's happening there? So is it the combination of not a good diet, too much stress, too much sugar, too much alcohol? Like what's going on with all of this autoimmunity? Is it just toxic, is it toxic exposure as well? Like what's happening there? It is all of what you just said. So we are eating things that we shouldn't be. We're exposed to all kinds of stuff, perfume being the most pervasive. It's not air pollution, it's perfume is the most pervasive thing that is going to lower our immune system function. And so we have the things that are coming in that knock us down, and then we don't have the nutrients that we're ingesting to be able to build this up. And then when you add stress on top of that, that's the third factor. So we're exposed to things we shouldn't be exposed to. We're not getting the things we should be getting, And then you got stress on top of that. And so then the immune system says, I can't keep up. And so some inflammation that would normally not happen is happening because the immune system is is responsible for helping you reduce inflammation. I mean, it can cause inflammation too, but it's trying to kill the perpetrator that's creating the histamine response or whatever the inflammatory response is. It doesn't have to necessarily be a histamine response. Right. Like in my case, it was just mass inflammation in my that that was radiating everywhere and, and causing all kinds of havoc. But I don't think your immune system caused that. In fact, I know it didn't. Well, so tell me about it. It was your toxic bile that caused it because you had bile that was very low on the pH scale. And so it is actually burning the, your very tender epithelial layer. That's the, the, the layer that's right next to the opening. It's the first layer of the intestinal tract. And so you are damaging it. You pour acid on something. It's going to damage the cells. And that's what's creating the inflammation because you were destroying cells. And that in itself created the inflammation. It wasn't the immune system who did that. So is that the case in all autoimmune, like whether it's the thyroid? Like what is it for the thyroid and what is it for like rheumatoid arthritis? Like what what's going on in those? So in my case, or is, is it in all Crohn's cases? Do you feel like it's the toxic bile or? In Crohn's it- cases. In Crohn's cases, yeah. Okay. Because that's what we're coming in, com- into contact with. When you have rheumatoid arthritis, you have inflammation. But what created the inflammation? Did the immune system create it? Is the immune system the ones out there? No, the immune system's trying to reduce the inflammation. You have damaged this somehow. Let's think about this. You drop a brick on your foot. You dropped a brick on your foot. What happens to your foot? It becomes swollen and inflamed. You have inflammation. So who is going to go down there and fix those cells that got damaged? They're damaged. Dropped a brick on your foot. They're all messed up and damaged. Somebody has got to go down there and perform repair operation. Who's going to do that? The heart, the cardiac system, right? No. Well, what about the liver system? It's going to go down there and do something. Well, what about the, the, the respiratory system? Somehow the respiratory system is going to go down there and repair cells. No, we have a system that repairs cells. It's called the immune system. And so the immune system, Goes down there, fix the damage. And so because they are now more elevated, because you have inflammation and they're going down there to try to stop the problem. They're trying to put out the fire. They didn't cause the fire. They're trying to put the fire out. But because the firefighters there on the scene, they say, look at all the firefighters on the scene. The firefighters caused the fire. Because there's so many of them. No, they're trying to put it out. The immune system is trying to heal your foot. It's trying to take the inflammation down. But they get the blame because they have been called out in droves to fix something. Look at all those immune system cells. The immune system created the inflammation. 
No, you dropped a brick on your foot. That's what creates the situation. So what? Ha- how is the thyroid affected by that? It's things we eat. It's things that we do. It's stress. All these things are creating, people don't even realize when they eat sugar, they think, oh yeah, the only thing with sugar, maybe I'll have a sugar high and a sugar low and I won't be thinking very clearly and I'll feel moody and grouchy and all those things are true. You will. But you don't realize that sugar is creating inflammation. Sugar directly causes the inflammation. Mm. And so who's going to fight that inflammation? Enter the immune system. And then we blame the immune system because you're there trying to fix the problem. All right. I got to ask, how does sugar cause inflammation? Because you have a lot of people out there saying that sugar's fine. In, 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 in quantities, it's totally fine. Talk to me about sugar and how does it cause inflammation? You can use my sugar at one time as you want to. The body only requires a certain amount of glucose at any moment in time. What happens if you have too much glucose because you ate sugar? Whenever you eat sugar, you have too much glucose. What are we going to do with that glucose? We have to turn it into a fat. That fat is called the triacylglycerol. And then we will store that fat into an adipose tissue. That's a fat cell. And when you store a triglyceride in an adipose tissue, when you make that transfer into that tissue, that tissue will release what's called an adipokine. And adipokine is an inflammatory molecule that will cause inflammation wherever that tissue exchange is happening, wherever the, the triglyceride is being stuffed into a cell. That's what's causing it is because you just had too much sugar. So, and that's going to happen every single time you have too much sugar because your body goes, I need this much. And you're like, yes, but I love this much. And then, so every single time you're triggering this response, whether it's from a natural sugar or a natural sugar, your body needs a certain amount. So, because a lot of people go, oh, if I'm not overweight, does it matter? Because sugar is only, you know, if you're overweight, then, you know, you're creating a lot more inflammation. But if I'm thin and I eat a lot of sugar, because a weight component, does a weight component play a role at all? I didn't think so. Yeah. No, it doesn't play a role at all. You, if you didn't get that sugar out of the bloodstream, if you take in too much sugar, you will die of something called diabetic coma in a very short amount of time, just minutes. And so what has to happen is you've got to get rid of the sugar. And you just took in a whole bunch. So all that sugar is converted into triacylglycerols, which are stored in the adipose tissue. You have a release of adipokines and you have inflammation. It doesn't matter if you're skinny or not. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. Well, it's interesting because I have met thin type 2 diabetics having nothing to do with weight. And, you know, a lot of people say eating protein causes cancer. And so it's one of the conversations around being vegan or vegetarian. And I've met vegan and vegetarians with cancer. So then it t- then it's like, well, where is it from now? So what are your thoughts about that conversation that protein causes cancer? I want them to show me why and how. Tell me the molecular reaction that is happening, that the protein is actually altering the DNA of the cell because that's what cancer is. Cancer is a mutation of the DNA. So I want you to tell me how that protein is actually crossing because there has to be a certain way that protein has to get inside the cell. So there has to be a pathway. Proteins are big, monstrous molecules. They can't just cross the cell wall. They can't. They're too big. Little perfume molecule can. They're just teeny tiny thing. But a protein, protein is just hundreds, thousands of their, their little amino acids, they're called. You know, we put an amino acid connected to another amino acid, another, and that's what creates a protein. They're massively large molecules. They can't cross. And so how are they ever going to get into the nuclear envelope to damage the DNA? I want to know how they can do that. There's not a physical way for them to do that. Can you eat too much protein? And if so, what's the outcome of too much protein? If you eat in one sitting. No, except that you overate and you get a stomach ache because you're just a hog. I mean, you know, you're, (laughs) but no, you're not going to be able to. Now, if all you eat is protein and you don't eat any carbohydrates, if you have no beans with your meal, beans are a carbohydrate. A lot of people think beans are a protein. No, they're not. They're carbohydrates. And so if you don't have some beans with your protein, then you are eating only protein. Then you are going to force your body into ketosis. And that means we're going to take a protein and we're going to make it into the sugar because you didn't eat a carbohydrate to give us any blood glucose because you have to have a certain amount of blood glucose. And we like to get that from our carbohydrates, our complex carbohydrates like beans and vegetables. And so we can easily, not easily, well, the liver has to get involved and then you have a molecule of ammonia made and then you get into all kinds of liver and 
and kidney problems when you are eating a ketotic, that means all protein diet and you don't have enough carbohydrates. And you will, yes, you will end up being sick, probably end up, I mean, kidney stones are a common result of this, all kinds of liver problems. So that's the reason if somebody has kidney damage that protein should be minimized because of the the ammonia and the breaking down of the protein? Yes, because if you're getting too much, the, the kidney cannot metabolize it. And so then it's difficult. The kidney's already struggling. So that's when, should they still have protein? Yes, but I always take it down to just one third of what they what I normally would recommend. Because okay. they don't have protein. Yeah. Just, just not as much. Now, beans are a carbohydrate, but many would argue that if you combine it with a, you know, a starch of rice, that you can complete the profile, the amino profile. I've heard you say that it, it's an imperfect practice because you, there's always going to be a limiting factor. Is that correct? That is correct. All of our molecules are made out of these amino acids. Amino acids come from our proteins. There are nine amino acids that we cannot make. We have 21 altogether. Sometimes we call it 22, but it, it's that one's on the outside, the outlier, 21. We have 21 amino acids. And nine of those you have to eat because your body can't manufacture them. The rest of those amino acids, the body can manufacture out of the nine essential ones. They just do a little chemical conversion on them and you can make the other amino acids. So when you're putting together a protein molecule, you're putting together some type of enzyme. Those are made out of proteins. Everything is made out of proteins except of pure fat. And so we're putting together this molecule. Now we need a methionine. Now we need a glycine. Hey, we need a cysteine. Come on over here. And there's a certain order that these amino acids to come into play. If you're missing an essential amino acid, methionine is one of them. We can go through and list them all, but it doesn't matter. Tryptophan is another one. If you are missing one of those essential amino acids at the moment that you need it and you're making that particular string of amino acids to make the molecule, then the molecule doesn't get made. Hmm. It stops because we are missing it. You say, well, I had some methionine and I have a tryptophan. Yeah, but you, you only had a certain amount of beans and a certain amount of rice and they didn't give you enough of all of it. You're, so you're limited because you only had this much tryptophan. And so when the tryptophan runs out, we're done making those cells that need tryptophan. Hmm. So really, the volume that you would have to eat versus a small amount of an efficient protein, like an animal protein, is so great. And, and because it's, you can't measure it accurately enough that it's a, it's a crapshoot if you're going to get exactly what you need for your immune system to that build would, healthy cells. That would be at best because it depends on what you're doing today. Are you more active today? If you're more active today, you need more protein. Are you under more stress today? You need more protein. Are you coming up on a menstrual cycle? You need more protein. Are you nursing a baby? You need more protein. Are you pregnant? You need more protein. What's the weather like today? Is it super cold today? If it's super cold today, you need more protein. You know, there are so many factors that are coming in. Are you, and so, are, and you're going to figure it out exactly. Okay, I need two tablespoons of rice to one tablespoon of beans, and that's going to give me what I need. I'm sorry. No one will be able to get to, to nail this down for you. Just eat your your palm-sized piece of protein, you got anything there, you don't have to worry, all the resources are there. Yeah. I say that I washed up on your shore very, very sick, having tried a lot of different protocols. And since I have found the balance of protein and vegetables and legumes and healthy fats, I feel good when I'm exposed to viruses. My body handles them well. And I've never been this resilient and I'm 46 and you would think in my 20s and 30s I would have been the most resilient, but I wasn't because I just wasn't taking care of myself in the way that I take care of myself now. And I feel more resilient now than I ever have. And it's really amazing to say that. So I, I absolutely feel it on a, on a level of truth that what works for my body is being an omnivore. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All the best to your unique. You as well. Talk soon. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Karen about the immune system and just all of the little tangents we got on. I have so much fun talking with her and I hope you all had a wonderful time listening to that conversation. I hope it's helpful along your journey and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for being here, listening to the podcast. And um, you can find me on Instagram at Unique Hammond 
or on my website at yourgreat.com. You can find Karen Hurd at karenhurd.com. And I will have more listed for her in the show notes. Have a wonderful day, night, morning, wherever you are in the world.